Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Illumineers Quest podcast, where we talk everything Lorcana. I'm Zach. I'm Jacob. And thanks for coming on this journey with us. So today's an exciting one. Uh, we're going to talk deck building. So what makes a good deck, how to build your first deck, a lot of the considerations that you should have when building your first deck, and some of the like just basic restrictions too. So it should be fun. I think this should hopefully help a lot of the beginning players out there. I think we ran into a lot of bumps in the road as we were building out our first decks. And so I think this episode has good potential to hopefully help some of you, the listeners, the listeners out there, not make those same mistakes that we did. No, for sure. We, we learned a lot, for sure, our first day. And we can hopefully pass those learnings along. That's what we're playing. So two big deck restrictions from the start that you have to consider when building a deck. Tell me about them. And this you can kind of pair with our how to play video. Like I think that this this video will or this episode will work well with that as well. Yeah. Um, but two big restrictions when building a deck is minimum sixty cards. You can't use any less than sixty. At least sixty. Yep. Um, you can use more, which we'll go into in a little bit. Um, and then you can pick two out of the six inks to build cards with. So the cards out of, from those inks are the only cards that you can build and put into your deck. Six different ink types. Amber, Amethyst, Emerald, Ruby, Sapphire, Steel. can only choose two of them if to you build know, out a normal deck. If you know Pokemon, it's like fire type, grass type. It's There's only six in Warcon. You can only pick two of those six. Yeah, so again, as and then on the secondary side of that, as Jake said, you can only use, or you have to use a minimum of 60 cards. You can use more than that. I think for beginners and people starting out like us, it makes a lot of sense to just stick to that 60 minimum because the more you have in your deck, the more variability you put on yourself. If you have 100 cards and you're trying to find one specific card, it's going to be hard to find that versus if you have 60 cards. So that's the, the thing to consider. And so for most people, I think it makes sense to just stick to that 60 card minimum. And if you have more than that, just really look at the different cards that you have and you know cut a few back that are you know filler cards um along that same line you can have a max of four cards per specific card so if you're using i don't know um aladdin heroic outlaw one of my favorite cards you can only have four of them in your deck you can't have six can't have eight can't have an entire deck of aladdin heroic outlaws you can only have four um the kicker there is that you can have multiple of the same character so like there's, what, three Aladdin cards? Mm -hmm. If you wanted, you technically could have four of each of those. So it's not specific name characters. It's the actual individual cards. The little subtitle below the name is what makes the card a specific card. Heroic Outlaw, Street Rat, and I think Prince Qu Ali. And then there's there's another Aladdin, actually. There's a steel one. What, corner? Oh, you're right. I completely forgot about the... There's a, a cornered something. I forget. Yeah. The, so anyways, the point is, is you can only use... A max of four cards per specific card, mm -hmm. 60 card minimum, two ink types. Yep. So on that ink type front, we did get a question from a listener, which we're super excited about so early on, and we wanted to address it. So shout out Gabby. Thank you for asking this question. And the question is, what are the easiest inks to start using for your first deck? So... I would not use these two together necessarily. Do you? I think you know my my one and two. I see where you're going, and, and we can talk about that. So, my number one is is ruby, and then my two is steel. So again, I would not 
necessarily make a Ruby Steel deck. I haven't tried that. I don't know if that might work. It could work. I haven't tried it either, but um, just from from my blind eye to it, basically, I, it doesn't seem not a ton of synergies on off yes. the top. I think my second one would be Emerald. I agree, Ruby is probably the most straightforward. Just a lot of attacking, a lot of questing, which is you know for a beginner what you want to concentrate on. Mm -hmm on being you know well-rounded at um emerald is good in the sense that it has a lot of questing power behind it it has a lot of characters that over quest for its value and what i mean by that is it has a couple cards that quest for three where mo most cards quest for three cost six or seven mm -hmm. maybe eight you have a couple that cost three and four yeah. or four and five and so you can over quest your opponents if it's just like kind of a race to the finish line you'll win that race with emerald because you have a lot of questing power there absolutely um so yeah so once considering your different ink types and kind of what you want to use you know the more you play the more you'll understand kind of the themes of all of the inks and and the different strategies that go behind them you know we, we definitely went into that a little bit on our ink tier list video so if you, you know, kind of want to understand the different inks a little bit more in depth or the strategies behind building decks around those inks, you can check out that episode. Um, but moving kind of on to like resources, you know, you know, if you're new to the game and you don't necessarily understand the best decks or all of the synergies between ink types like we just talked about, there are a couple of, there are a couple like websites out there I think that are really impactful that can potentially help you out a lot. The first one being dreamborn.ink. Mm -hmm. It's just a deck building website that has all the cards. You can kind of see the most favorited decks. So you know there's a big community on the website and a lot of people favor other decks to save and so you can see which ones are the most popular out there. Kind of try to understand how the decks are put together that way. And then kind of on that same vein, uh, lorcania.com again is another one that we've used that helps you you know search through the deck um the set understand the different cards get it you know good um feel for them all try to build out your deck you know see how much everything costs understand your ink curve which we can talk about now um so yeah i mean i think that you know not just doing this alone is a big one jake and i have each other we have another couple gr group of friends that we've played with a lot and so Using everybody and all the resources around you to iterate can, can help you get up to speed faster. It's probably the most helpful thing is being able to have friends that are playing the game as well. It's probably one of the most helpful things out yeah. of this entire experience. Agree. And if you don't have any you know direct friends mm -hmm. that want to play, we've both joined our local league. Uh, I've already learned a ton about that. I'm sure that'll come up at some point today. Uh, the opponent that I played that last week was a demon he was so good and so having you know somebody like that in the local community that can help you out and help you understand things better is is will help you ramp up a lot quicker than normal yeah and hopefully like i mean he was really good but also super helpful yeah which was the it's best so thing. nice yeah. so nice so cool such a cool guy i talked to him for an hour after he put the beat down on me and so it was really fun i mean you know normally you get into those scenarios and you just lose and it's over but yep. having that education after why everything happened was super eye-opening yeah um with that said you know when you are starting it's probably best to use a starter deck like we did it's kind of pre-built to go through the normal ringer of a match and so you can not have to worry about it and so if you do want to go right away and build the deck obviously feel free i think that's one of the biggest pieces of this game is 
understanding the strategy behind deck building. But if you're wanting to get your feet wet in the game and really just start playing and try to see how the pace of the game plays and everything like that, starter decks are a great way to start. And I, I definitely say that Ruby Emerald would probably be the way to go for yeah. the starter deck. Straightforward. I think our experience playing all the starter decks against each other on first day was probably Ruby Emerald being the most successful. Yeah, and I mean, that first 24 hours was just starter deck play, yeah. and I definitely agree that Ruby Emerald was the best yeah. in, in our experience. Yeah, so start with a starter deck if you want to. Uh, it, helps you, it helps you get started, helps you get going, helps you understand the game. From there, you can kind of dive into building out your custom, custom decks. Yep. So I did say the ink curve. We can dive in a little bit more to that. I think that's important to understand. The, I guess, definition behind mm -hmm. ink curve would be the like overall costs of the each individual card you use in your deck. You can break it down to an average too, like yes. the average cost of a card yes. in your deck. So if you have, for instance, the cheapest card in your deck being, I don't know, something crazy like six, mm -hmm. being able to only play one ink per turn, you're probably not going to have a successful time because you can't play any of your cards until you get to turn six. Yep. And so your opponent will probably have quested for 12 or 15 by that point. There's <laughs> yeah. not much you can do. So having a strategy and having cards that support that strategy. So not every card is going to, or not every strategy is going to initiate on turn one. Sometimes it's okay to just play an ink turn one and not play a card. But again, most of the time, without getting into you know super advanced tactics and stuff that quite frankly we don't understand all the, <laughs> all the way yet it's probably best to have a couple one cost cards have a couple two cost cards in your deck so that you're able to play on those first couple turns and specific inks work with that more well than others and that's when that's when you really have to look at each ink specifically and to see what works well yeah so together. just making sure you have you know not all heavy hitters but have cards that can play across the board um, and you kind of and you kind of just talked about that when we were talking about the starter decks and your two ink times, but ink synergies. Yep. You know, once you start to really get a feel for the full set and really get a feel for the ink types and what their strengths and weaknesses are, that's where you can really start to build out a cohesive strategy around your deck and combine ink types that maybe not aren't necessarily together in the starter deck like Ruby and yep. Emerald. Um, like I haven't seen like I know. The starter deck I played with was Ruby Amethyst, or not Ruby Amethyst, uh, Amber Amethyst. Amber Amethyst. And I haven't necessarily seen a lot of like top play with that deck. I just know that like it was one of the better, like it was probably the second best starter deck. So you definitely, starter decks, like we said before, are a good way to go, but there's a lot more to it than just that. Yeah, so you know, with you know the strategies, there's there's kind of like three overarching strategies, I think, that we've kind of put together thus far. Really fast, really aggressive decks. I know mm -hmm. that you're a fan of that one, where you play a lot of cards at the beginning, try to overwhelm your opponent, and get out to a, like a massive lead to begin with, yep. so that you can kind of just get to the finish line first. You know, basically racing at that point. That that would be considered an aggro deck. Yeah, yeah. The second one, I think that's pretty straightforward as well, would be like a board control deck, mm -hmm. meaning you take advantage of the board and try to keep your opponent's board clear so that you own the space on the board and can have the ability to quest more than your opponent. I think Steel you know, is probably why you mentioned that. It's a pretty straightforward control deck with all of the items that deal direct damage to characters. Yes. It enables you to control the board really easily. Keeping your opponent on their back foot most of the game, for sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, and then lastly would be ink ramp. So we've we've talked about in previous episodes where stacking ink is a little bit overrated, and I think in general that's probably the case. I think for beginners like us, we thought, oh, cool, you get out to a, a two-ink lead at the beginning, and you're going to just be able to blow your opponent out of the water. And I, th- I think we both agree that that's <laughs> not necessarily the case. I yeah. think there are strategies where ink building can work, but again, you have to understand the whole deck and the whole synergy of the deck to make that work and you can't just go get out to a two ink league and expect to win yes that's 100 percent correct so other like kind of breakdowns to consider when when building a deck i think the the ratio of items and actions to characters is probably one of the big one the big ones that comes to mind first and that is something personally that I have not um, gotten close to mastering for sure. I'm, I'm still working through that for sure. I would say I'm on that same board. I think both of us really underestimated items in the beginning. I think actions like dragon fire and fire the cannons or grab your sword, some mm-hmm. of those like straightforward ones that are really obvious at how to make them work were, were well accepted. But some of the items... I think we well underestimated mm-hmm. in our endeavors at trying to build a successful deck. Yeah, because I think the thing that like we kind of overlooked the most is that items are completely reusable. You yeah. know, most of them are, at least. Um, they can be very pestery. Yes, and like, there's not many ways to get rid of items, your opponent's items, off the board. So, um, And th- <clears throat> then, yet again, you don't want to fill your deck with items. You, you, you make sure there's a race, uh, ratio. Items can't quest. Items and not quests. That's not winning in the game. Uh, yes, I, I think it goes back to your strategy. So, like, if you have a super aggressive deck and you're trying to get out to a, a basically a fast start and trying to just race your opponent to the finish line, you probably don't want items because that's just going to be a waste of your ink. Where you could be a play, playing a character that'll quest. Yes. If you want a control deck that you know takes control of the board, like we talked about with Steel a little bit, you, maybe you do want a bunch of items on the board because you're trying to control the board essentially like we said yeah and items you know it's not like we said before it's not a one turn thing you can keep control for most of the game if you play your items right which yeah. is a big deal you yeah. just got to make sure that your other character cards are helping you build off of that in quest yeah i completely agree and so there's no right answer i no. think is what we're getting at there's no you have to have 60 cards. You know, we, we started with that. It's not, you have to have 20 cards be actions and items. That's not the, that's not the right answer. Um, I think we've built decks where I probably have eight items slash action cards. I think I've probably built decks that have 20 to 24. Wow, yeah. So it just depends on the strategy that you're going for. And, and if you're playing the long game, if you're playing the quick game, and what you're trying to accomplish in beating your opponent. So the next big consideration to make, which is a little more straightforward, and there probably is more of a right answer to this yeah. one, but is inkable versus non-inkable cards. So I, I, I know personally I've dealt with this quite a bit, and my immediate answer was, and we'll I could get into the basics first, but yeah, essentially start start from start from the beginning. Just, Explain the I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> so there's a little symbol. Uh, first of all, there's a number in the top left corner of every card. Yep, and it, it's a number, and that's how much that costs in ink to play. 
to play. Um, and then on some cards, there's a round, like, circular symbol that goes around that number. And that means that it's inkable. And mm -hmm. that means that you can play it into your inkwell. And then there's other cards that don't have that, and you can't play that into your inkwell. So the non-ink cards, then, are more restrictive in how you can use them. Absolutely, yeah. So if you, for instance, have an inkable card that can be put in your inkwell that might not be useful at the current moment, mm -hmm. you can put it in your inkwell, still get some use out of it, and continue on with your game. Yep, still build, still build up without using it. Non-inkable cards, on the other hand, cannot be used as ink. And if it's something that isn't directly useful, like let's say a 7 or 8 cost card, and it's the beginning of the game, and it's yeah. not inkable, that'll just be in your hand forever. Yep. Because you can't use it, you can't put it in the inkwell. Yes. So, for instance, if you start off your hand, and you have a boatload of non-inkable cards, you draw seven cards, they're all non-inkable, your game's over. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. can't play anything, you don't have any ink. So when we say there's more of a right answer to this dilemma, what we mean is you don't want to have so many non-inkable cards in your deck that it becomes hard to ink cards because they're hard to find. Now I will say there's other cards that work with non-inkables, like uh, a Mickey Detective, I believe, is one, yep. where he puts the top card of your deck immediately in your inkwell. It doesn't matter if it's inkable or non-inkable. Fishbone Quill Fishbone takes Quill. a card out of your hand, whether it's inkable or not, and puts it in the inkwell. But, so there's always... There's, there's ways exception. around. There's an exception, but again, if you're... don't have any ink in your inkwell at all, and you're trying to play Fishbone Quill, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so exactly. So you can agree or disagree with me, but my number would probably be don't go over 20. If you're if you have 20 cards in your hand, that means one out of every 3 is not inkable. That's probably the max you want to go. Yeah, I mean, I could I I feel like even going even under that, but I feel like 20 That's is, the max. Is yes, for sure. If um, you want to go 16 or 12, I can fully support that. Yeah. I think there are really strong non-inkable cards out there and that's why they're not inkable is because they're very strong and i think to your point earlier like non-inkables that are high cost are really difficult like i would say i would say if you're going to play non-inkables make sure most of them are lower cost um because if they're if they're not they're like to your point earlier just going to be sitting in your hand most of the game there there are a couple exceptions to the rule as there, as there always is the the th the way around that is obviously when you start the game, you have the ability to basically reshuffle your hand. And what we mean by that is if you have, you know, you draw your seven cards, you don't like them, you can discard to the bottom of your deck as many of those cards as you want and draw that many more. So if you have, you know, four or five non inkables and it's obviously not going to work out for you, you can discard some of those. And some of those high cost ones that you're talking about you can get rid of but then obviously it's a high cost card it's obviously of greater importance since yes. it is a high cost and now it's at the bottom of your deck so you're probably never going to get to it but there are ways to to keep you going if you are in a bad position with those non-inkables so yeah 20 i would say is the absolute max i definitely would be okay with doing 12 or 16 
but just again, you know, understand the strategy and the synergies between the, you know, cards that you're putting into that deck. Yes. Okay. Do you feel like you have a good foundation of a good deck now and the rules on how to build a good one? Yes, I think I think so. Okay. But there's more to learn, isn't there? <laughs> I hope so. We're we're definitely getting there. I mean, and the next couple topics, I think getting into like the synergies between cards, so like a win condition and a support character. I know we've we've touched on that before, but as you're building out your strategy, you want to have something that can win you the game. So, you know, the the most straightforward ones are the the big tanky, you know, high power cards that obviously draw the most attention like Aladdin Heroic Outlaw I'll probably talk about that one until I'm blue in the face because it's one of my favorite ones it's a great card um, Elsa Spirit of Winter the Amethyst card the big Elsa Legendary same deal 8 cost to has a ton of value if that's your win condition then what are the support cards that allow you to build up your ink to build up your resources to fend off your opponent to get to the point in the game where you can play her and this overall conversation is the, I think, the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, consideration to to, to make when you're making a deck. Um, it's completely agree. It is so fundamental because it's it's what the fundamentals of your deck. It's what your overall goal is. What makes it work versus what makes it not work. Yes, I think we both made these mistakes in the beginning. You know, you look at kind of the cards as a whole and you, you know, are considering the ink costs, you're considering the ink types, you're making all those baseline considerations and you're not really thinking about the purpose of every single card in your deck. And it is time consuming and it can take a while, but if you consider each of those cards and the purpose of each of those cards, then you can really start to like play out the game in your mind and try to understand what your moves your opponent will make to derail your strategy and how you can be flexible to deal with those interruptions and how you can kind of bounce back and forth to build out that gameplay in your head to fully utilize the strategy that you have in mind. And I mean, this is, it's a lot to take on. Like there's a lot, there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to know and you got to keep all that stuff, you know, constant in your mind when you're building a deck. And to be honest, like for me as a new TCG player, it can be overwhelming at, at some points. Very overwhelming for me. I I am enjoying the deck building a lot more than I thought I would, mm-hmm. but I was definitely over my head at the beginning. I completely agree. Which brings me to the next point with this. You have to iterate. Your first deck, like we said, it will most likely not be a roaring success. No, not at all. And with that in mind, don't get discouraged. Don't lose hope that you can't get there. You found a good one relatively quick that you were happy with and that you liked playing a lot. I think it took me a little bit longer to find something that I was really enjoying, but mm. we both eventually got there. And I think we will continue to iterate. Yeah, and I mean, I, I th- at one point thought my deck was completely broken. It's not. <laughs> it's still pretty good, but yeah. like it's, it's not broken. So, you know, we are continuing... To learn too. Yeah, I, th- I think we continue to iterate as well. And the other thing to keep in mind is is if you want to have one deck or only have enough cards to build one deck, that's obviously fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, we kind of went over three overarching strategies that you can you know use throughout your game, being the, the super aggressive deck, the board control deck, and the ink 
ramp slash build up mm-hmm. type of deck. So if you want to try out your kind of play style with those different strategies and see what works and see what really clicks, like that could help you out too. No, definitely. Um, and then when going through this process, you're going to lose. Like we said, you're not going to win every game. You're going to have find some success. You might find some hard times. And so understanding why you didn't win or understanding what your opponent did better or the weak spots that your opponent attacked will really help you iterate and make the deck better and make it more successful. That's how I got to my my really good deck that I like was because I realized what wasn't working and what my opponent was really good at. You know, that's that's a big piece. Yeah, I can talk about my first failure deck building very very intimately because it was not obvious to me at the time, but once I played it a couple times, it became very obvious. So we talked about ink building. I think that was my initial strategy that I thought would be a lot of fun to play around. And you would get out to quick starts if you build ink with Gramatala, you build ink with One Jump Ahead, you build ink with Mickey Mouse Detective to get, you know, maybe a three to four ink lead. Mm-hmm. Those first four or five turns you're probably in a good spot because you have more ink than your opponent but you hit a wall really quick because there's no way to draw cards and i didn't play amethyst with it to have you know the three or four card draw cards in the deck and so i would hit a wall i if if i was able to out run my opponents and get to 20 before they could take me out i would win a couple games but i found very quickly that i would hit a wall and so that's the kind of insightful thoughts you have to have into your deck to understand why it's not working and what you need to do to make it better. And my example was that I wasn't, I just had way too many high cost cards. Like we were talking about earlier, the ratios and stuff. Like I was, and my opponent was just getting a lot more out there, a lot more, a lot faster than I was able to. And so I was just getting outpaced basically. And then I went in the complete other direction and it helped out a lot better. It worked out a lot better. Yeah, so again, you know, you can get outpaced and it'd be okay if you have, you know, cards to stall your opponents in the beginning while you're building out your strategy, but if you can't deal with that like you're saying, then you're going to have a hard time keeping up. Mm-hmm. So, I think that covers the majority of it. You know, we talked about a lot of the basics, making sure you're following, you know, the base guidelines to build a deck. Talked about, you know, some of the expectations on getting started, maybe some of the best ink types to to go with. You know, how to start getting in and diving into some of the strategies, thinking about supporting your win conditions, a little bit more of the advanced topics there. And again, we're still scratching the surface. There's probably 10 layers deeper that we can go. But I think, again, we're new to this. I know a lot of our listeners are probably new to this Mm -hmm. as well. So if we can help all of this community along the way as we go, then that's what we're trying to do. So, yeah, hope, hope this finds some of you and helps you build your decks to a little bit more success than we did our first times absolutely well again everyone thanks for listening we appreciate it if you have any questions again you can reach us at lorconopod at gmail.com we'd be more than happy to answer any questions and you know feature them on the episodes so that we can work them in and and make this a more insightful and well-rounded community we are also on uh, x or twitter at lorconopod and then you know, our podcast is syndicated across all major podcast networks and you can find video versions of on YouTube and some of our unboxings and tier lists and other things as well. So 
again, thanks for, thanks for listening and thanks for coming on this journey with us. All right. See you guys. Bye.